The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Morning to Tisha Clear Vradker. Uh, you're very welcome to the program. Um, I want to just first of all reference uh, your former party leader, former Taoiseach uh, John Bruden, who passed this week. Um, uh, a man whose uh, probably repu- reputation during his time was less burnished than it was subsequent to his time as party leader in Taoiseach. Yeah, look, it's, it's been a sad couple of days for the Finnegal family um, and indeed for a lot of people who would have supported and admired John in County Meath and around the country and around Europe. Um, we had a really nice session in the Dáil yesterday. The opposition uh, parties all agreed that we suspend the Dáil early, um, but we had about three hours of tributes. And it was um, it was a really nice afternoon in a way because um, so many people knew John personally and to hear the tributes... Um, you know, they were personal stories and Irrespective personal of the cut and thrust of their yeah. political differences. Yeah. And, you know, even within the party, people who would have clashed with them or would have opposed them at, at various points um, uh, gave tributes and, and they were sincere and, and they were, you know, very much personal stories and uh, we'll have a chance on uh, Saturday as uh, a full state funeral happening on Saturday, so a chance to uh, rem- remember the man and um, and say goodbye properly. Meantime, politics continues. What do you make of the poll in the Irish Times this morning? Are you uh, gratified by a fall in Sinn Féin support, a slight uh, uh, rise in Fine Gael support? Well, you know what I'm going to say. Opinion polls don't yep. predict the outcome of elections. They they didn't for the last two. And we see all across uh, Europe um, elections turning out very differently to um, the way the uh, opinion polls say. Um, le- leaving that aside, um, I think if you do look at the polls, and not just the one today, there's been three in the last two weeks. They're, they're very frequent now. Um, they say that it's wide open and it's all to play for. Um, you know, the Sinn Féin support is somewhere in the high 20s. Um, still doing well, but not as well as they were doing previously. The combined support of the government parties, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens together, well into the 40s. Um, you need about 50 to form a government, so uh, I believe this is a government uh, that can be re-elected, but that means the parties in government getting another couple of percent each, and we can do it. How do we do it? Focusing on the issues that people care about the most, whether it's the cost of living crisis, whether it's housing, whether it's healthcare, managing migration better, uh, law and order, all of those things. So that's our focus. Is yeah, but you're running out hard. of time. If, if you want to address those issues, people say, why haven't you been listening? There are ordinary, decent people who were concerned about uh, migration, not because they were racist or anti-migrant per se, but because they're saying there's no room uh, for them in given the level of services we are enjoying in our own communities. We can't really take 100 more people on if there's no GP. Well, look, we're, we're, we're always listening and we're always acting. Um, but as I, I, as I think most people appreciate, and as I certainly learned from uh, 20 years in politics now, uh, problems are much easier to describe and complain about than they are to solve. Um, so just even mentioning the issue you mentioned there on, on GPs, we're, we're training more GPs than ever before, 350. But many year. of them will leave. They'll just take the money and run. That's the nature of an international labour market. Many will leave. We also have many GPs coming in from abroad. And you would have seen that great story there the other day of a rural practice that was saved in a rural town by a doctor who's originally from Iraq, uh, taking up um, a job in rural Ireland that an Irish Irish doctors wouldn't take up. You know, so that's that's the positive side of migration. Mm. We shouldn't forget that too. You know, saving small schools, uh, saving uh, services, particularly in in rural areas, and also we're investing in practice nurses. Like I, I'm a trained GP, as you know. Um, one of the big differences between general practice in Ireland and say somewhere like Holland uh, is if you go into a surgery in Ireland you'll probably see four doctors and one nurse. If you go into one in Holland you'll see four nurses and four doctors. So it's not 
primary care, community care, general practice is not just about the GP. It has but to be. But where does that reform uh, come from? Because um, clearly it's very slow in being changed right across the face of GP practice. Well, we are doing it. You know, there are more GPs who have contracts with HSC than ever before. Um, yes, there are more people in the country than there were ever before. And doctors, rightly so, don't work as long hours as they would have done uh, in the past. Certainly not when my dad was a GP. Um, things have changed a lot uh, and, and changed for the better in, in terms of hours worked. But we do have more GPs working with contracts with HSC than ever was the case, training more than ever was the case and investing more. But there's a very ageing cohort in the GP uh, practices all across the country. And Mm -hmm. if they want to retire, I mean, some of them will find it difficult to retire because they know they leave people high and dry. And actually a lot do stay on for that reason. And, you know, that's that's something very very noble in my view that you see GPs staying on till 70, as as, as my dad did, and some some even stay on until 72. But like I say... um, increased the number of training places dramatically. There's high demand for those training places, by the way. That was a big, big change from seven, eight, nine years ago where we couldn't get people to even go on the schemes. Now they want to train and bringing people in from overseas as well. Yeah, but, but many thing, of them one, one thing will to, get great training here and then take those skills uh, elsewhere where there is also a demand worldwide for yeah. the services of GPs. Is there anything uh, we can uh, do uh, to the put, numbers. whether it's golden handcuffs, but handcuffs of some kind on them, so having trained them, they at least give the country some service before they depart? Well, interesting that the numbers, you know, training as GPs leaving has actually gone down considerably, which is which is encouraging. And then others coming in from South Africa, uh, other places as well, in particular. Um, as part of the training scheme, you have to do two years uh, in in a practice. You know, that's that's part of the deal, if you like. Uh, so that that's kind of it's already also there. makes you very saleable in other jurisdictions yeah, because does, you've got yeah. that uh, experience. But, but, you know, I think we have to be realistic about that. We live in an in international labour market. It's very evident in healthcare. It's also true in IT, finance, most of the private sector, and that means trying to make sure that uh, jobs are attractive. Um, that. Uh, people aren't overtaxed, which I think is very important too. You know, income taxes are lower than in Australia, for example. People don't like to admit that, but they are. Yeah, but higher than the UK. Higher than the UK. And we're not particularly losing people to the UK. Um, no. In fact, we're gaining people from the UK. And Well, the stories about the NHS are not edifying, to be, qu- to no. be quite honest. But one, one thing, just finally, on yeah. fact, which I think would be important to say to your listeners, for the first time in the history of the state, uh, the majority of people in the state are now entitled to uh, free GP care. But hundreds of thousands of people haven't signed up for it. Um, they assume they're not entitled to it because they're working people with average incomes. But actually, you know, look into it, go onto the HSC website. You could have a household income of well over 100,000 and now qualify for free GP care. I mean, would encourage people to uh, to do that. Now, one of the, the terribly worrying developments over the last uh, couple of years has been uh, the arson attacks. Mm. Uh, 23 so far uh, since, uh, the, I think, 2022. And that's worrying. Do you believe this is a concerted campaign? Um, speculation, it could be just copycat stuff locally. But I'm told by fire people that it's actually hard to destroy a place by fire. You have to know what you're doing. So um, there, there is a very significant operation underway this morning. Um, the Guardi will be out later on and they'll make uh, a full statement on it. Um, but there have been a number of raids this morning. Um, there have been arrests. Uh, so I am confident that we will be bringing people to justice. Uh, for committing these crimes. Um, arson is a very serious crime, punishable by up to 10 years. Now, the Tanishta said that you're going to have to do things to make uh, the punishment perhaps more draconian. 10 years is already there. Yeah, so- well, t- 10 years in prison is a lot. I think what we need to do is catch the people who, who've done this. Um, we don't believe it's one gang travelling around the country committing 
all these arson attacks that they're they're different in nature. There are some that are doing it opportunistically, uh, others who are um, connected to uh, extreme right racist views um, who are more organised in what they're doing. And I think you mentioned what it takes. Um, the attacks have been different. Take someone like Cruxling, the old nursing home in British. I would know that well from my time mm-hmm. working as a doctor in Tallaght. It's where he would have sent patients. Uh, that, that was a big building to burn that down. Took a lot of planning and took a degree of knowledge. In other places, it, you know, it, it hasn't been um, arson on that scale. Um, but and, look, and many of the places are not totally destroyed. Uh, there's been some yeah. damage done, which would suggest the amateurs at um, work rather than but also, professionals. Yeah, and also a number of cases, you know, properties that, that weren't even under consideration um, for use uh, by by the Department of Integration for International Protection. So um, it, it is it is a very worrying situation. And the biggest worry that I would have is that um, somebody's going to get killed or seriously injured, whether it's a night watchman or a security guard or, you know, maybe even somebody sleeping rough in one of these buildings. And, you know, these are serious crimes and um, they are also motivated by hate. Let's not forget that. You know, people often ask, what is hate crime? How do you legislate for hate? You know, somebody who is burning a building um, because they believe that uh, people of a different nationality or a different colour are going to be accommodated there. That's a very clear hate crime to me. And those who encourage it or spread disinformation, knowing full well that this could be so, the consequence. So you're of confident it, you've that said that there will be uh, arrests and people will be brought to face the courts. Yes, uh, and potentially will get will get an additional stiffer sentence because of the hate element of this. Uh, the, the, you, you talk about uh, hate crimes and racism and so on. Uh, what do you make of the charges by the Israelis that are the Israeli? basketball team that the Irish basketball team is racist. I mean, they are on the horns of a dilemma. They face uh, you know, exile from international competition if they don't fulfil this fixture and one in November uh, and then on foot of the Israeli team being pictured with a member of the IDF with machine guns and so on, mm. uh, they responded and they've been branded as anti-Semitic. Yeah, well, look, I, I disagree with that profoundly. Um, people who uh, disagree with the policies and actions of the Israeli government um, uh, aren't anti-Semitic per se. Uh, because you do is, disagree currently do. with the invasion of um, Gaza in its proportion. Well, that's correct. I, I don't disagree with Israel's right to defend itself and pursue the terrorist organisation Hamas that attacked them on October 7th. I do think what's happening uh, in Gaza is uh, collective punishment, um, is excessive, um, and I disagree profoundly with uh, the actions of the current Israeli government uh, and the current Israeli Prime Minister. Um, um, but there is a there is a strategy which is employed by um, extreme Zionists to say that anyone who's critical of Israel is anti-Semitic. And they actually admit that themselves, that this is their view, that being anti-Israel or anti-Israeli policy equals anti-Semitism. I think that's profoundly wrong. Um, and I think it actually devalues anti-Semitism. Um, and I fear that it may even start to make anti-Semitism uh, um, acceptable, which would be a terrible thing. Uh, because anti- mm. anti-Semitism so, so what should the women do? Should they play the game? Uh, look, ultimately, that is their decision. Um, but I, I have a very clear view on the general issue of boycotts, you know, whether it's sport, whether it's music, whatever it is. Um, I, I don't think we should disadvantage ourselves. Um, it's one thing to expel Russia or expel Israel uh, from certain sporting events or certain music events or contests. And I think that may well be appropriate. But for us to remove ourselves um, actually isn't a good idea, in my view, because all we do 
uh, is disadvantage ourselves. This is why I never agree with unilateral actions. Um, when you act on your own in these kind of circumstances, you know, you're the, you're the people who lose out um, for yeah. a boycott to be but, successful. But I mean, South Africa has done that mass. in taking Israel to the International Court of Justice. They have set themselves up to be probably penalised in terms of trade by Israel in, in years to come. Well, we'll have to see how that case plays out. Um, I'm horrified by the um, war crimes, potential war crimes that are happening in Gaza. But every war crime isn't genocide. And all, all you know, genocide is a very particular thing. Um, and one thing that I'd be concerned for on behalf of South Africa, by the way, is that in two or three or four years time when the world court rules, they may rule against Israel, but they may find it wasn't genocide. And then South Africa in three or four years time finds itself in the place of being the country that falsely accused Israel of genocide, according to the world court. So that's why you have to think through these things. You know, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, it's your, not the same thinking as, as would explain, liking something on Twitter or, or you know, yeah. reposting something. Your thinking would explain why you will go to the White House uh, for the St. Patrick's Day period. You will go to Washington. Um, and people are calling on you to, to be very outspoken, not privately with Joe Biden, but publicly when you have a platform. Look, uh, first of all, I haven't yet been invited to the White House, so I don't assume the invitation will come. Um, but if I am invited, uh, I will go. Uh, and of course, I'll use that opportunity, uh, both in public and private, uh, to put across the views of the Irish people to the US president. Um, the US has huge influence over Israel. It may well be the only country in the world they still listen to. Um, are uh, are listen to it in, in a meaningful sense, um, but I do need to, you know, I think it is worth pointing out that in fairness to the US, Qatar, Egypt, they have been working uh, on a ceasefire plan, uh, and uh, that's a ceasefire that we've been calling for a very long time. And I hope by the time um, St Patrick's Day comes, that we'll be talking yeah. about, but we'll be in a situation where we have a ceasefire. Um, a humanitarian ceasefire that allows for the hostages to be released, ends the killing, allows for aid to get into Gaza. And I hope what we're talking about on March 17th is how we make this ceasefire permanent yeah. and how we move towards but, a lasting uh, solution. You probably saw the the uh, response of Hamas, their counter-proposals, mm. which uh, the Israelis immediately dismissed. And, and when I saw them first, I thought, these are totally daft. You know, this is delusional stuff on the part of Hamas. What did you think? Well, I, I don't think there can be a permanent peace if Hamas remains in charge of the Gaza Strip. I, I think that is clear. Um, what I really regret is that after the bestial attacks that occurred on October 7th, um, that Israel didn't follow a different course. Uh, they had an opportunity to say, um, we now insist that the world support us in removing Hamas from Gaza, or at least removing Hamas control of Gaza, the leadership, the senior people, um, restoring Palestinian Authority control of Gaza and instead of going down that route they went straight for violence um, and I'm not sure they'll actually be able to remove um, Hamas control of the Gaza Strip by, by violence. Four months 30,000 people dead unbelievable amount of damage done and uh, Hamas fighters are still there, the Hamas leadership are still in control of large parts of Gaza. It does show that um, violence isn't the solution to this conflict. We've had 75 years of violence, terrorism, occupation, oppression, dispossession, uh, Jews and Arabs all suffering. The only solution to this is a diplomatic one uh, and, and a political one. And that's where we really need America to show the kind of leadership that it showed 
um, when it helped to negotiate the Camp David Accords, peace with Egypt, peace with Jordan. Indeed, and the, the uh, Good Friday Agreement. Indeed, uh, yeah. They were part of that. Now, uh, you were up at Stormont uh, and uh, I saw you in fond embrace with Michelle O'Neill uh, and congratulating her on uh, being appointed First Minister uh, which the DUP would be happy to point out is uh, of co-ranking with the Deputy First Minister. Um, you used to be, perhaps still are, a, kind of a bête noire with the uh, the DUP and uh, certain sections of uh, the, the hard unionism, shall we say. Uh, have you been rehabilitated in their esteem? Look, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but... Um uh, I had a particular responsibility as Taoiseach during my first term uh, to ensure that Brexit didn't result in a hard border between North and South, um, that our place within the EU single market uh, wasn't undermined uh, and that the Good Friday Agreement would continue to function notwithstanding Brexit. And I've worked very hard on that uh, for the past seven years. And I'm glad that we're now in that space today where the Good Friday Agreement institutions are back up and running and I'll do the best I can to work okay, with Michelle but the and EU and Evan Little is going to have a look at this because this was unilateral action on, on foot of the Windsor framework which is still there in uh, on paper but certain uh, methodologies in terms of its implementation have been unilaterally changed by Britain. Um, do you have concerns that the EU might uh, cast a cold eye on the arrangements? Um, well, I was speaking to... President Montevine about this last Wednesday when I was when I was in Brussels and um, I know uh, Thomas has been talking to Maris Efkovic who's the commissioner responsible for this area. Um, from what I can see, uh, no, there's no major red flags at the moment being raised by the commission. Um, the changes being made are more about the operation of the Windsor framework rather than changes to the Windsor framework itself. Um, obviously, the European Commission will have to come to a decision on that. Uh, but essentially, there are uh, some changes around uh, how checks will be done. There'll be no routine checks, but there can still be checks yeah. based on But do you think that Rishi Sunak, in a sense, uh, pulled a fast one, uh, knowing that the European Commission really wants uh, to help get Stormont back on track and therefore was prepared to maybe turn a blind eye to some aspects of their behaviour? I, I think the passage of time, though, is important too. You know, we have had... Um, the protocol or various versions of the protocol, the Windsor Framework uh, being an evolution of the protocol uh, in operation now for quite some time. And we haven't seen uh, any breach of the integrity of the single market. Like that was always the concern at European mm-hmm. level that uh, Northern Ireland could become a backdoor to the single market. And that hasn't happened. So I think that's helped uh, the European Commission moderate its position a bit um, for understandable reasons. And there is a bigger picture at play here. You know, the United Kingdom is a very important security partner in the world um, and a very important ally of of the EU. And I I honestly believe under um, Prime Minister Sunak's team, we have a much better relationship between the EU and the UK. And for Ireland, that's that's in our our interest. This is compared to uh, both Liz Truss and Boris Johnson, I presume, I, I think it's fair to say that um, under those two previous prime ministers, the relationship was less stable than it is now. Um, Mary Lou MacDonald uh, said that uh, the um, prospect of United Ireland, that United Ireland was within touching distance. Uh, we had Geoffrey Donaldson on the programme saying she must have very long arms uh, because it's not that close. Um, you are younger than both Mary Lou MacDonald and Geoffrey uh, Donaldson. Uh, do you see the prospect of United Ireland in your lifetime as a younger man? Well, look, I, I certainly hope so. Um, the Good Friday Agreement provides a mechanism by which we can uh, have United Ireland referendums in both jurisdictions voting yes for it. 
uh, and our constitution articles two and three aspire to unification. So I don't think any Irish politician should be afraid to say that we, would, we want to see unification happen in our lifetime any more than I would criticise any unionist politician for saying that they want the union to last forever. Um, is it in touching distance? I, I, I don't agree with that assessment. Um, I respect Mary Lou's opinion on this, but I don't agree with that assessment. Why don't I? Uh, because not a single opinion poll has ever shown a majority for unification in Northern Ireland. We have seen opinion polls show majorities for independence in Scotland, for example, but never seen one that showed um, uh, a majority for, for, for independence or for unification in Northern Ireland. And also, if you look at assembly elections, um, the majority of people elected to the assembly don't don't aren't calling for United Ireland. The nationalist vote is stable oh. around 40 percent. So there's a long but way sometimes to sometimes there can be a tipping point. And if you think of what happened in Germany uh, at massive expense to the German West German mm. taxpayer, but they did it um, because circumstances allowed. I mean, Brexit has been disastrous for the United Kingdom. Um, do you anticipate there could be a situation where people might be saying we're better off out of there? Oh, look, if you, if you believe in the unification of your country, um, it's not about 1% or 2% or 3% of GDP or maybe having to pay a little more tax. You know, it's a price I'd be very happy to pay if we could achieve uh, the unification of our country. But the way that's done, I think it, it, the Sinn Féin approach is to kind of create an inevitability narrative. This is going to happen, you know, whether you like it or not. The conversation's underway. You know, unions, you just need to get on board, you know. Um, that's not the right approach, in, in my view. Mm. I think the right approach is to look at that middle ground, the kind of people who... Uh, vote for alliance at the moment uh, are green people who say that they're British and Irish. Um, it's it's and it's really to assure people who have a British identity in Ireland that there's a place for them uh, in a new Ireland, and that's a very different approach to the Sinn Féin approach, which Do I you think see a is possible still very federation. Look, there's lot, lots of different models, um, and um, I, I think there'll be a time and place for you know something like I, I don't remember Gareth Fitzgerald's New Ireland Forum. I think there'll be a time and place for us to establish a body a bit like that that can look at options. But that's actually not now. You know, the Executive Assembly only back up and running in the last couple of days. Let's focus on making that work. Let's focus on north-south cooperation. And I think there's a time and place for that, but it's certainly not the next mm. few months. Now, we have uh, two uh, articles of the Constitution to be amended and changed. Uh, I mean, why now? Your government has at most a year to run. Um, it might be seen in some quarters as a bit of a distraction and what, after all, will it achieve uh, except a, you know, a, a pious declaration? Well, look, first of all, why not now? <laughs> you know, this, the, I, I've heard some people suggesting this has been rushed, you know, far from us. The, the, changing these articles was proposed by a constitutional convention about 10 years ago, Dáil committees, citizen assemblies, you name it. So a huge amount of consideration has been uh, uh, been gone through before we made this proposal uh, and I suppose the reason why it hasn't been done up, done up until now is because there are other things that were given higher priority but I'm very keen to see these changes happen. I, I think, you know, to put it very simply, nobody loses from these changes but there are yeah. people who gain. So, for example, at the moment when it comes to care, uh, our constitution only values care if it's provided by a woman or a mother and only in the home. Yeah, uh, but does this, it change this, this anything practical yeah, it terms? Do, it does. It in does it like, do, do it I does. get more so, money to look after my yeah, yes, parents? Yes. So let me answer that. The, the answer is yes. Um, so it does, does two things. Um, care isn't just about women in the home. It's any care within the family, whether it's in the home or not. And it gives that form of care constitutional protection for the first time. So say something like the carer's allowance. Uh, say something like um, the care support grant. 
Um, the fact that we're now giving carers uh, the state contributing pension, recognising what they do uh, towards the state pension. Um, the, it will say the constitution will, will, put, will put an imposition on governments to strive to support that. So say, for example, a future government tried to row back on some of those things or take them away, that could be challenged in the courts. And it also puts a positive obligation on future governments mm. to improve the lot of family carers. So I, I love the language in English to strive to support, which is good. I prefer the language in Irish, which is dream, which is to continue to climb up the ladder. So it puts a positive obligation uh, on governments for the first time uh, to improve care and a lot of carers mm-hmm. uh, and not just not just women in the home, um, uh, women and men, whether it's in the home or not, so long as it's within the family. Finally, Thishuk, back to where we started, really. You, you claim that your government does listen, but you have uh, done a number of changes. There will be, you know, planes hired to deport people who should, uh, you know, can't be expected mm-hmm. necessarily to leave on their own volition. Um, you've uh, dropped the amount of money that will be paid to new arrivals from Ukraine. They'll have to stand on their own two feet very relatively quickly after they uh, arrive and so um, there were people calling for these things way back and it's taken you a while, if you are listening, for the message to get through. Well, look, the, the, the situation has, has changed. Um, for a prolonged period, we had uh, only about 3,000 people arriving in the country each year seeking international protection. In the last two years, that has increased dramatically um, to 12,000, 13,000 a year uh, and that required uh, a response. But one thing I, I do want to make very clear, you know, people can get all different forms of migration mixed up. International protection is a very small aspect of migration. You know, most people who come to Ireland are UK citizens, are EU citizens. Uh, They come here to work, live, study, just as we can go there. Um, We issue about 40,000 work permits a year. Um, You know, these are nurses coming from India and the Philippines. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, construction workers coming from... um, uh, countries outside of the European Union. You know, a lot of people seem to argue that... Uh, the problems we have in the country are being made worse by migration. Actually, the problems we have in the country, part of the solution is migration. Who's going to build the houses? We issue work permits to construction workers to come in to build them. Who's working in our health service? Uh, People from all over the world. So actually, migration is the solution to many of our problems, not the cause of our problems. International protection is a very small aspect of it. It, it, It's irregular. It's hard to manage. And we need to make sure that's rules-based so that those who get protection, who deserve it, get it quickly, those who don't, those who've tried to get around the scrum, uh, those who try to use the international protection system to come here as economic migrants, that they know that's not going to work, that they're going right. to be processed quickly and sent back. Tisha Leif Ratker, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.